Have you ever been in a room or a conversation where you, you don't really know what's being talked about? Sometimes it's because a topic came up before you got there and you don't have the history, so you really don't know what they're talking about. Other times, it's because we actually have different definitions for things that uh, don't, are not necessarily shared by everyone else in the conversation. We just had one of those uh, prior to the service. I'm just going to leave what it was about to those who were part of the con conversation, but it was one of those things. We needed a little clarity, so we Googled it. And we got what we wanted. I'm not Googling All Saints Day, but there are a few things I want you to understand before we actually even get into the message. I want you to carry with today what we talked about last week. Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses on the, the, the chapel door the day before the All Saints celebration. And the reason was there was a nobleman coming in. They were going to open up shop in the chapel itself, displaying 15 to 1,700 relics. The thought was you pay to see these things, and you could then end up getting out of purgatory. The estimate was 2 million years. Luther was shocked, of course, as we will be too when we kind of walk through what All Saints Day is all about. So this feast, All Saints Day, dates all the way back to the, three, the, the 300s, the 4th century, and that's in the Eastern Church. It took the Western Church a little bit longer for it to catch on. But it was at a time where there were Christian leaders being killed randomly, left and right. Show up one day, uh, and your, your preacher's gone. The evangelist that came into town uh, doesn't come back. Uh, over the years, like um, Memorial Day, it kind of expanded to include not just martyrs, but all Christians, because all Christians are, are saints. Now, a saint is a person who has been called by the Holy Spirit to faith in Jesus Christ. They are forgiven by grace through that saving faith, and they are made holy in the sight of God by that same saving faith, the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the great gift of God. Even every Christian, whether on earth or in heaven, therefore, fits the classification of a saint. We have a tendency to only talk about those that are in heaven, but actually that applies to all of us because when our last hour comes, guess where we're going to be? We're going to be with all those who have come out of the great tribulation. And so really All Saints Day is a celebration of the church. We talk about it as the church triumphant. These are the saints that have gone before us. And we talk about the church militant, those still at war. Uh, Onward Christian soldiers is a great uh, a hymn that backs it up. That while we're on this side of eternity, we are engaged in a sinful world, a sinful self. And the devil is doing everything he can to try to drive a wedge between us and our heavenly father. And I pray that All Saints Day message today allows you to see and understand one of the main ways that he goes about doing that. When you think about saints, we think about 
the size and solidarity of people. And this is from all times, all places, all languages, um, all since the very beginning of time. Adam and Eve arguably are the first saints because they believed in the promised Messiah. But also, it helps us cross that great divide in understanding not only those who have gone before us, but where we are on our journey. A saint, therefore, has been called by the Spirit to faith in Jesus Christ. They are forgiven, and they are made pure by God's work through the Holy Spirit. So let's be clear, whether we're in heaven or on earth, Today's message is speaking about all of us as saints, but I'm specifically going to try to hone in on the communion of saints on this side of eternity. Those of us who are still waiting for our call to our heavenly reward. Thus, our text for today out of 1 John 3 helps sum that up. I think that's where, yeah, that's where that's from. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, we are children of God now and we will be as, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And that's our text. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, on on a day where it's quite common for there to be a mixture of feelings and thoughts as we consider loved ones that have gone before us, or maybe even those who find themselves, in, at least in our opinion, in the final days of their life on earth. At the same time, we consider our own frailty, our own state in this temporal world. And we pray, Father, that your spirit would cut through all the confusion, all the division, all the questioning of of who we are as your children, that we may truly grow to appreciate that wonderful gift of faith that those who went before us found their comfort and their peace in. In Jesus' name, amen. So... We're talking about church militant. That means we're talking about everybody in this room right now because none of us are dead. We're hopefully still alive. So one of the greatest challenges and privileges that God gives to each one of us is to belong to his family. Now, this is not to say that Christian families are perfect because we know they're not in many situations, um, Christian families come off as almost being dysfunctional, not only in the choices that we're making in a practical way, but also when it comes to our spiritual relationship with God and with each other. There are faithful Christian families that bear the scars of misguided parenting from those who have gone before us. Christian faithful families, they struggle with their own frailty, their selfishness, their pride. And most notably, 
their inability to discern their identity as God's elect, even now as part of our physical experience on this side of eternity. Christian families are not perfect because human beings are not perfect. Humans are flawed. And the reason human beings are flawed is sin. We see that all the way back in the book of Genesis. Uh, We go there quite frequently because it's important for understanding where we come from. Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. They were created perfect. They knew God completely and were known by God completely. They were not afraid. They lived in harmony with him and his word. Maybe the thing that kind of frustrates some of us is why did God create people with free will? And the answer is obvious that God didn't want to create a bunch of spiritual robots. Trust me, we would have perfect worship attendance today, even with the chiefs playing over in Germany, if you were all spiritual robots. There would be no other place to go. This is where you'd have to come. Adam and Eve were the only ones created with perfect free will. And when confronted by the evil one, they chose to disobey their creator God. And the big temptation that Satan presented Adam and Eve with was, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Let's be frank, sin seeks to make us God. I mean, think about it, if you will. I mean, what are your fights at home about, at work, at church? Doesn't it have a a very strong element of you being right and the other person being wrong? Or maybe you're not right, but the other person is definitely wrong? And you almost take it upon yourself as your job, your calling in life to fix the other people, right? If you're having a conflict, conflict right now at home, chances are you're trying to fix something. Dads trying to fix kids so they don't make mistakes. They don't turn out to be somebody not in their own making, trying to get them to avoid your past sins by restricting their behavior without listening. We're remembering that they're only six years old, 13. About conflicts between husband and wife, what are they about? Isn't it really about trying to get the other person to think and be like you? I mean, after all, we've been married this long. You'd think you'd figure out now that the clothes hamper, the inside of it is where the clothes go. Oh, you're just making excuses. You're doing that on purpose. We confront the other person as if they're some sort of a zombie or you have to be this way when we don't recognize that We married a sinner. And like us, that sinner struggles with decisions and behavior. Sin seeks to make us God. Boy, if you get nothing out of this sermon, no, there's something else I want you to get out of it. But this is a good way to start. Remember that. It helps you understand why you're a saint. Now, what happens is that Sin calls into question 
our relationship with our Father. I mean, think about it. As a Christian, you would think that God would do things different than he does. Don't you say, how come this bombing took place? How come yet another mass shooting? How come this? How come that? If God was really a God of love, would he allow that to happen? God, if you really love me, you will take this from me. As if somehow or another there's a deal out there that when we became a Christian, we wouldn't have to experience any kind of sorrow or affliction or grief. After all, we're the children of God. We should be above all that. But when God allows that stuff to happen, when it takes place in our lives because of sin, we now call into question our Heavenly Father. Have you ever done that? Have you ever wondered to yourself or out loud, God, how can it be? She was so young. He was just hitting his prime. We had so many plans. How come? And how come now, God? And it's because we are uncertain when it comes to our relationship with our Heavenly Father. We are also uncertain with who we are. We approach God from a, a human perspective of, of a God, if you will. First of all, we want to know, well, does God exist? I exist. Does he? And if he exists, does he love us? Is that the, the emotion? Is that what motivates his relationship with me? Because it doesn't feel like love all the time. And then, do I even matter, really? I mean, I've heard sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon, and yet I go home, and I sit with myself, and I listen to myself. And because I'm not convinced, I, I begin to question. That's what original sin does to us. It puts us into the center. It curves us in on ourselves and we look for answers to life's big questions in a place that they don't exist. It's not in here. It's in God's Word. Robert Schuller, um, an old big name and televangelist, told a story about a little girl named Sarah, and she was hearing impaired. And this, of course, uh, presented a problem to her relationship with her father because her father traveled quite a bit. Every night in and around dinner time, dad would call in, have a recap of the day from his, his wife, and then he would ask, how is Sarah doing? And one particular night, his wife said, you know what? Just a minute, I'll put her on the phone. The next voice that the man hears is little Sarah. Hi, Daddy. He responds, Hi, Sarah, I love you. But Sarah couldn't read his lips. She didn't hear him say that. What she ended up doing is taking up all the dead airspace, and she began to chatting about everything that happened in her life that day, what happened at school, her friends, what they did, what was really fun. And, of course, we all know that's gym or lunch. 
But after that, she ran out of gas, and as quickly as the phone conversation started, it stopped, and she was gone. She never did hear her father's simple but very, very important message. Sarah, I love you. Some of us have allowed years to deafen us to that very important voice in our lives. I love you. By the way, I'm playing God right now. I love you. I love you. No, I, I, I love you. How can it be? I, I love you. And because we don't hear that voice, we're not certain. Do our lives really matter? Are we really all that important? Ultimately, what is the outcome of our life? I call that stinking thinking because it leads me to devalue myself, to put me in charge of defining my identity, and instead of allowing God to identify that for me. And you know, we actually see this very clearly by how we talk about ourselves. So you guys have been a living experiment so far. Studies show that we speak to others at a rate of approximately 100 words per minute. I doubt that is true because this would have been a seven-minute sermon. I must be speaking slower than 140 words per minute. The interesting thing is we speak to ourselves at approximately 900 words per minute. And that's what you've been doing since the sermon started. You're making editorial comments to yourself about what I'm saying. Maybe you agree, maybe you don't disagree. Now that idea then will trigger another idea, depending upon how cool your brain is. But you'll find yourself in a matter of seconds going to yet another topic. Maybe it's related, sometimes it's not. Uh, And you think about that idea and... Lo and behold, we're back to the Chiefs game, wondering what the score actually is. Now, I don't know if you guys did that last part, but I've sat out there, and I know how hard it is to pay attention. And I know how, especially Pastor Preem preaches, he, he says things that hit in such a way that I, I actually am kind of pushed into this realm of, what was that? How's that? Oh! <gasps> Then I start thinking about, boy, that would be a great sermon for next week. And I, I, I kind of phase out on him continuing along the line. That's what self-talk does. It's how we talk to ourselves. And here's the, if I can say the real important thing of this illustration, is that, that we are told today that 70% of self-talk is negative. In a pastor's conference a couple of weeks ago, we had a a pastor that ran a a home, not a home, a, a retreat for people that were going through mental challenges in their life. And the number one reason for that is the fact that they're depressed. They feel like there's nothing good about them. We feel that somehow or another, I hear all these good things being said out there, but they don't apply to me. 
And what's really bad is if the sermon's not good, I almost encourage that behavior. You want to tune into something that's more interesting than what I'm saying. All this is because of our uncertainty when it comes to who our Heavenly Father is. I mean, imagine if you could, just that if you would, what if you would replace negative self-talk with Jesus' self-talk? Suppose you were able to focus yourself on all the things that God has done for you, that he promises to do for you, that he's currently doing for you, but your self-talk doesn't allow you to see it or hear it because you're thinking about it from your perspective rather than God's perspective. Suppose you were able to remind yourself of all the things God has done for you. And for All Saints Day, most importantly, how God sees you today. Imagine the difference it would make in your life if you did that, if you could, and you really believe that. I honestly believe you would be more energetic, dynamic, and if I can go there, attractive. And I'm not talking about skin attractive. I'm talking about the beauty that comes from within. Because you would know who you are. You would know who you belong to. And you would know what is important. If for no other reason, you're not the God over anybody else's life. Not even your own. This isn't about you calling the shots. This is about God the Father defining how he creates and how he is working and what his, opening plan, his overall plan will be. And you see this in our epistle lesson. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. I'm waiting for your self-talk to take over. What does it say to you? How great is the love the Father has lavished on us? Do you even define love that way? Or is your love defined by what you want or what you don't want? And when you get that, boy, that's God's love, as opposed to understanding what the love of the Father is. For God so loved the world that he what? Yeah, he didn't let the Chiefs win the game. He didn't let you win the Powerball. Now I'm being silly because I really don't know what you're wishing for to make an understanding of what God's love is. But how great is the love of the Father that he has lavished, he's poured out on us. This isn't something we earn or deserve. It's in spite of who we are, this is how God chooses to interact with us. So much so that we should be called children of God. Imperfect as we are, surrounded by other imperfect, this is nevertheless the reality of who I am, why I'm here, how I see my purpose, my mission in life, and how it defines so much of my interaction with everybody else. And that's what you are. You're not that negative caricature that you like to play out for yourself. And if not just for yourself, for other people. In this room, we are all children of God. Because God says so. Now, the reason that the world doesn't know us is it did not know him. 
I know this is going to make the message longer, but I just feel the need to say it. Sometimes the reason we don't know it is because we really don't know Him. Do you like to put your own definitions on God? Do you like to play God with God? Tell Him what to do. Ultimately, the end of all that is you're going to lose. You're going to realize that there's, there's no redeeming aspect to that thought process at all. Sometimes we limit ourselves from the joy and the peace that we talked about when we were in the book of Philippians. These are gifts that we possess, and yet for some reason we don't know it because we don't know our Father as the great giver of all those things. Then no matter what the circumstances, we find ourselves in that somehow or another, this is a moment in time or a place or an experience where those things don't apply. And you experience that in the memories of All Saints Day sometimes. Christian brother or sister goes to their heavenly reward, and, and yet we want to play and live in this sadness when they are in glory. We, we look to our own last day with fear as opposed to bring it on. Come, Lord Jesus. I know it's not easy. I just want you to back up a second on a All Saints Day and and ask yourself the question, is that what I'm doing? Do I spend more time thinking about other people and how they should change than, than myself? Uh, he goes on to say, dear friends, we are the children of God now. And what we will be has not yet been made known. We are. It's the reality. This is a present reality for us. Sitting where you are, take that in. Allow that to redefine how you think about yourself. And understand, John is saying, we don't have all the answers yet, but we know who we are. And because we know who we are, we can allow all those answers to be left in his hands. And we know that when he appears... We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. For those who have gone to their eternal rest, that's where they're at. They're seeing it. They're living it. For us, that's our hope. Hope is not wishful thinking. It is the certainty of belief. And it translates into my life through my words, through my actions, and through my thoughts. There's an Old Testament scholar, Lutheran scholar, by the name of Walter Brueggemann. And this is what he said. It's great freedom to know who owns you. If you do not know to whom you belong, you are apt to be the pawn of anyone whose identity is strong enough to overwhelm your own sense of inadequacy. Isn't that the fear of all parents? You're sending your little child out there, and there's this strong-willed other kid. And that other kid then begins to define how they see themselves. Give them a phone, let them on social media, and the next thing you know, they're bombarded with the opinions of other people that have absolutely no control over them, but they exercise it. And how important it is for us, not only for us personally, but for our children, to be clear on who we belong to. My identity is in Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
we don't have to be or feel inadequate. It's a struggle because we're flawed, and our families are flawed, and that includes the church. And yet we preach Christ crucified. We preach that God loves us. We preach that we are his prized possession, a people belonging to God because of Christ's sacrificial death, resurrection, and ascension. In closing, when I was a kid growing up in North Dakota, most of our information came out of Minnesota. You had to be a Vikings fan or a twins because that's all you could watch and we didn't have any senator representative that was overly uh, noble or noteworthy but Hubert Humphrey was in Minnesota he was a senator he ran for president he said this you must remember that in politics how you stand depends on where you sit he was referencing the seating arrangement that they had when they were in the capitol as they sat the senate but I read that and I thought, how we as Christians stand depends where we sit. And we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Our feet may be on earth. Uh, we may see it from that perspective. But God's word sets us apart in such a way that that's how it defines us. Yes, we're flawed people. But we know who our father is. We are the children of God. And we know that we're the children of God because of what Christ has done for us. So we're able to go out of this gathering today, by God's grace, hopefully secure in the knowledge that God loves us so much that he gave his son Jesus to create this loving relationship between us and our Heavenly Father. And that He's with us wherever we go. So, being a saint means we belong to God. Our past, present, and future are His to manage. Therefore, we live in His forgiveness. We flee temptation. We worship in God's house. We run from the darkness of sins as we run into the light of God's Word. As a living saint, we see the blessings of being among fellow Christians, your spouse, your children, your classmate, your fellow believers here, all these people are redeemed by God, brought to faith in baptism, and made into living saints, just like you. Would you pray? Father, into your hands I commend all the words that you have spoken today that it may encourage those who hear by your spirit to be drawn into a closer relationship with you and with each other. In Jesus' name, amen.